glad we've got some visitors as well. I'm excited for the Word. I'm excited for... Uh, how, how many of you learned something today? You were here earlier today, and you're like, come on, look at all these hands. I know I have. How many of you know we, we just want to continue being learners, right? We don't ever want to be closed off to thinking that we... How many of you have ever realized that something you've believed you've been wrong about? But it's, I mean, including myself in a lot of ways, and sometimes you've been really, really stuck on that belief too. You know what I mean? And, and uh, I think that it's, it's just wise to never have anything that's off limits to the Holy Spirit that He can't even speak into. You know what I mean? And so I just, I'm just grateful for um, just people like Stephen to come and just, just to help us learn, help us grow. Um, so we're, I'm just super grateful for him. I'm just going to, Pastor Stephen, come on, man. Give it up for Pastor Stephen as he comes. <laughs> Prophet, bishop. Thank you, Pastor Mike. I just love Mike. We've hit it off, man. I, f I found a lifelong friend now. We just have had a good time. You would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of our conversations the last two days. We've just had a lot of fun. So thank you for honoring me and giving me the opportunity to come and minister to your people. Thank you guys for coming. And uh, I hope today didn't stir you up too bad. And uh, I know I got some wheels turning, but that's okay. Um, you know, tonight I really felt... Like I had many different ways and directions that I wanted to go, but um, I'm just going to start on something and see what sticks. How about that? All right, we'll, we'll just see where we land. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to start with. I'll tell you what I'm feeling is about five different messages all wrapped into one. We looked at this passage earlier today, but I want to visit there again. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to read verses 3 through 5 again. Was there anybody here? Was there anybody here that wasn't here today, this morning? Raise your hand. Okay, so good. All right, we got some people that didn't hear what I said. We talked about spiritual warfare and having a new understanding of some verses that we have maybe known all our lives and preached from and taught from and received from, but just looking at it with fresh eyes, a new lens as to what the text may be communicating to us and this is one of those texts that most people could quote it. Most people have quoted it, and they bring it up a lot, especially the part where it says we take th thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and how people have applied that to themselves. And you know what? I don't want to discourage you from using that if, if it's helped you. All right? If you want to use that language and say, I take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, I know what your meaning is. I'm not allowing any negative thoughts or any sinful thoughts to have place in my mind. And that's absolutely applicable. I think another verse that might fit with that way of thinking better would be Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, I, that I set my mind on things above. But this particular text, Paul is using a battle analogy of his day 
to communicate how we wage spiritual warfare, specifically on how we as apostles, that's what Paul speaking, would go into a region and they would proclaim the truth of the knowledge of God. And as they did so, it would confront the wrong thinking about God in the minds of the people. And in the same way that an army would infiltrate a fortress or a stronghold and they would climb over the walls and go into the city and they would start taking plunder from the captives. He's saying in the same way that that happens is what we are doing when we proclaim the truth of who God is. And it confronts the lies in the minds of the people. What we need today is ministers who have spent enough time in the glory and presence of God that they have met him and that they have received revelation knowledge of who he is so that they come out of that place of encounter so that when they speak, they are bringing not just a head knowledge of who God is, but they're bringing an experiential knowledge of who God is. And through the anointing, it begins to confront those lies in the minds of the people. The problem is if we're only bringing... Uh, the extent that we have encountered God to the people and you're not in a life of prayer and devotion and, and inviting the Holy Spirit into your home and into your church and inviting His glory so that you're transformed into His image from glory to glory and you're touching that realm, then when you preach, you can only lead people as far as you've gone yourself. And so we need ministers who have gone into that holy place, into that gazing realm. I love this 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, We are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into His image from glory to glory. We gaze upon His beautiful face, and we allow the Holy Spirit to show us who He is, and it tears down all the lies that the enemy brings against the true knowledge of God. And that's the context of the verse in chapter 10, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So the analogy is that these fortresses, these thoughts are like fortresses. And so proclaiming the truth of God is like taking those thoughts captive. That's why we need the word of the Lord. We need the unction of the Holy Spirit so that every wrong pattern of thought is put in check so that when you have a wrong thought about God, the spirit of truth is there to correct it. And that way you're not sub subjected to deception. I, I don't know about you, but I want to walk in truth. I want to walk in the spirit of truth. I want to be led by truth. I want the truth to lead and guide me. And the spirit of truth is, is why Jesus went to the Father, so that the Father could release the promise of the Holy Spirit, that that is the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you shall receive him, and he will both be in you and be with you. He will both be in you internally, and he will be with you externally. You see, yes, we have a glory within, but we also have a glory on the outside. That's why the atmosphere changes when you come into a worship service. 
Look, the presence of God in this room right now is much different than what it's like in the subway right down the road. Or some restaurant where there's secular music playing. The atmosphere is different, right? What is that? That's the presence and glory of God. And so it's not just internal, it's external. When we come to worship, that which is internal connects with that which is external. And we encounter His glory. Amen? And we're going to talk about that a little later. But let's look at another verse. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And I encourage you, if you don't already study the apostolic prayers, apostolic prayers are the prayers in the New Testament. If you want to revolutionize your prayer life, then start praying the prayers that are in the Bible. Um, For years, I went through and memorized all these verses, all the prayers that Paul prayed. And it has become a part of my prayer language so that you're praying according to the will of the Holy Spirit. Look, the Holy Spirit gave inspiration to the scriptures. So if you want a prayer that you know is in accordance with the will of God, then pray the scriptures. It's just that simple. So I encourage you, if you memorize it, get it into the dialogue between you and God. Look, God tells us what to pray. We pray it back to him, and then he releases it. It's called divine governmental partnership. And it's coming upon the earth at a greater measure. Where God tells us what to pray, we pray it back to him, and he releases the judgments on the earth. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, it's, it's a very popular prayer. Let's back up and actually start in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exist among you and your love for the saints. Stop right there. It says they had faith and they had love. They had a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and they had a love for all the saints. They were already born again. They had already experienced God. They were already walking in a measure of love and intimacy with Jesus. But Paul says this. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He's asking for them to have an increase of the knowledge of God. They, They were already born again, they were already functioning in faith, and they already had a love for the saints. But he says, I want you to increase in your knowledge of God. That means there's more. That means there's always going to be more. That means the age to come is not going to be boring because there's going to be an ever-increasing release of revelation of the knowledge of God. It's never going to stop. You know, when people think of the age to come or when we pass over into that life, some people get dreadful or they're afraid and and they, they don't know what's next. And maybe they think it's not going to be fun. And, you know, we're just going to sit on a cloud with a harp like little naked babies and sing, you know, to the Lord the rest of our lives. And that doesn't necessarily get a lot of people excited. But I'm telling you, there is so much scripture that we have yet to study and understand that talk about this age to come where we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ on the earth. And the church has pretty much put everyone to sleep 
concerning those topics, and they've been afraid to talk about it. But in this day, in this age, God is pouring out the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, and it's time for God's people to step into a fullness of understanding what is coming on the earth and preparing the way of the Lord and actually ushering in His second coming. But we're talking specifically about the knowledge of God. Most people, when they think of God, they think that he's either mostly sad, mostly disappointed, or mostly angry. You know, people struggle with rejection. And when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, what do you really believe about God? A lot of people believe God loves us, but you know that God likes you. That he really does enjoy being with you. And that he's not mostly disappointed at you. And that he's not just writing out all your failures and pointing out how dark you are. That every movement of your heart toward him gets him excited, even in your weakness. What do you believe about God? Is that the way you live your life, or do you put yourself on a performance treadmill and you're constantly feeling like you have to do more to please God? You have to pray more. You have to fast more. You have to evangelize more. You have to serve more. And you just always feel like you can never make Him happy. God is a happy God. He's full of joy, joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the the prodigal son parable is so beautiful because... Even in that son's return, he was still dirty. He still smelt like the pigs. But when the father saw him turning back to him, he got excited. He got happy. And he ran and fell on him and hugged him and kissed him and threw a party. That really is who God is. But this world and religion tries to paint a picture of God that's not accurate. Because this is what the enemy does. And he's done this from the very beginning, even in the garden with Adam and Eve. What did the enemy do, really? What did this serpent do? He got them to question God's goodness. Did God really say that? God is withholding something from you. Have you ever felt like God was withholding something from you? How many of you are still single? You guys are still contending. God's withholding my spouse is what's going on. You know? You feel like God hasn't saved your loved one or healed you or uh, provided or, or given you that house or that job or whatever it may be. The enemy is still using the same tactics to get you offended at God, that God's not good and that he's somehow withholding something from you. Come on now. Am I preaching to a choir or what? I mean, it's true. And this is the, the truth of what you think about God is where the rubber meets the road. That will determine whether or not you allow temptation to pull you into lesser lovers. Pull you into sins that you think are going to satisfy you but are only pleasurable for a moment. They'll try to tell you that the Lord is boring, that church is boring, and the age to come is boring. And will talk you directly out of your faith. But I'm telling you, the scripture has a different word. It says something completely different if you'll really take the time to study it and meditate on it. As you meditate on it and as you gaze upon him, 
it confronts those lies when you discover that he's beautiful. And you, you read the Psalms and how David tapped into this knowledge of intimacy and how in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, This one thing I ask, this one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to meditate on it in his temple, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He is altogether lovely. He is fascinating. He is beautiful. He is stunning, and he is not boring. Is that the way you live your life? Do you live fascinated? I'm constantly asking God to release this spirit of wisdom and revelation on my heart, that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened, that I might know what is the hope of his calling, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And another verse is Colossians, another prayer. In verse 1, it says, in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, not natural wisdom, not natural understanding, but spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, increasing in what? The knowledge of God. There is unfolding revelation of who God is both now and for eternity. A billion years from now, he will turn his face and you will be absolutely fascinated again with who he is. Our minds can't even comprehend that, can it? Much less him saying, not only do I feel this way about you, but I've given you an identity with me. And this is the plan the enemy has tried to set up. If he can get you to question the goodness of God, then you're not going to believe what he says about you. And if you don't believe what he says about you, then you're not going to love yourself. If you don't love yourself, then you're not going to love others. So it's the plan to keep you from fulfilling the two greatest commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're not going to love God unless you know how much he loves you. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to go back to the scriptures. Okay, God, how do you feel about me? Okay, God, what do you say about me? What is my identity? And over the years as I studied this topic, there are three eternal identities of a believer. Can anybody tell me what they are? And Jason York, you are not allowed to tell anybody. He took my class at IHOP, so... Sons and daughters. Now, Jesus went through the same temptation, right? That he got tested in his sonship. He heard the voice of God. He came out of the baptism. He got thrown into the wilderness. He passed his test. He came out of the wilderness, it says, in the spirit and power. And then as he goes into Nazareth, he... He sits down in the synagogue and they pass him the book of Isaiah or actually probably said, hand me the book of Isaiah. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He knew who he was. He passed his test and there was power coming off of him. Look, I've been around men and women of God where you could feel the anointing emanating off of them five to ten feet away. And back in the days of the Brownsville Revival, when they started praying for people, it was just electric power just flowing through the building. And uh, if God can anoint 
a sinful man like that. Think of Jesus, the Son of God. I bet when he came down off the mountain, you could feel him coming a mile away. I bet glory and power was just flowing directly out. I mean, remember, people who touched his garments, it was like, I mean, virtue and power just flowed right out of him. And, you know, when the little kids play on his, you know, chest or whatever, his lap, I believe they were getting absolutely electrocuted and falling out in the spirit laughing. I mean, seriously. I mean, you cannot touch that power and not just get hit, right? And so I bet they loved just playing with Jesus because, you know, they were just going out left and right. And so when we think about sonship, this new birth experience that we are now children of God and that we partner with the Lord in our sonship and daughtership to exercise dominion over creation. That we now have dominion restored through the new Adam. What was lost in the garden has been restored and the spirit has been given And now we are living in a world that has been subjected to futility. Romans 8, let's actually turn there. Let's go to Romans 8. You know, Jesus, he mirrored, he showed us what it meant to be a child of God. Watch this, I'm a son of God, I walk on water. Watch this, I'm a son of God, I can speak to a fig tree and it will obey me. Watch this. I'm a child of God. I can create new eyeballs by spitting in the mud. I can pull out limbs and watch them grow. This is what it means to be a child of God. And yet we walk around saying we're sons and daughters of God, but we're not seeing the miracles. Where's the breakdown? Could it be that we may have heard it intellectually, but we're not living in the reality of it? Could it be that we still have offenses in our hearts about who God is? And we still doubt that he really says that about us and that he really will use us to do that? Could unbelief really be plaguing the church? And it's just an intellectual ascent rather than a walking out in truth. Romans chapter 8 is one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible. I'm just going to read a few passages. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some people say, oh, I'm just under condemnation. Did you know that if you've been born again, there's no such thing as condemnation? That is a sentence to death and hell. So condemnation doesn't apply. Most people mean I'm under shame or guilt. But there's no possible way if you're born again that you'll be under condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, that's the law of Moses. The law of sin and death was the law of Moses. We were speaking at dinner talking about, you know, legalism and, you know, whether or not we have the ability to watch something or taste something or do something. And I I always like to talk about having that liberty of sons and daughters over creation, that the law of the spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. We need to... uh, live above those requirements of do not taste and do not touch. We're not limited to those anymore. We're far above it. We're transcendent above such rules and regulations. Now, that doesn't disqualify us from living holy and living pure, but we must be led by the Spirit, and that's for each individual. Each and every one of us should be cultivating intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's better that I go away, that I can send him to you. It's to your advantage that I leave that I can send him to you and that you will know him intimately, that you would have a relationship with him intimately. 
Most people don't even talk to the Holy Spirit as a person. He has a mind. He has a will. He has emotions. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. He can be lied to. All of these things are the reality of the Trinity. The, the, the Holy Spirit is deity. He is also God. It says in Corinthians that it says, the, now the Lord is the Spirit. Have you ever called the Holy Spirit Lord? First Corinthians chapter 12, it says he distributes gifts freely as he wills. He has a will. In John chapter 16, it says he will take what he hears and he will reveal to you what is to come. That's like what David tapped into in Psalm 110, where he says, I heard the Lord say to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He was taken up into the divine council. Now we've been given the third person of the Godhead Trinity dwelling on the inside of us who will take what he hears in the council of heaven and disclose it to us. And we all walk around saying we can't know eschatology. We can't know the end times. Jesus said, you will know the times and seasons. This day will not overtake you like a thief. You may not know the day nor hour, but that's a short amount of time. But you better discern the season of the fig tree. This whole it's all going to pan out stuff, that is of the devil. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will have his church ready. They will be prepared and they will know. And God's doing that already. Jump to verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, often wonder, what does it mean to set your mind on the things of the flesh? And as a young man, I always thought, oh, this was dealing with some type of sexual impurity or immorality. But the Holy Spirit began to show me that the mindset on the flesh is when people try to get their identity from the systems of the world. And the systems of the world have been set up in such a way to oppose the children of God, whether it be our government, our educational system, uh, our, our schools, our uh, what else? I mean, you could, you could name several different things of what's been taken over that is oppressing the children of God from being who they're called to be in the earth. So we need to walk in resistance to those lies so that we don't set our mind on the flesh and allow the entertainment industry to define what beauty is or to define what success is, okay? We don't get our, our directions from those realms. We must listen to the Holy Spirit and be countercultural rather than allowing the culture to creep into the church. We fit in so well these days, we don't even cause any trouble. Verse 6, for the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Jump over to verse 13. For you're, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now listen, have you ever considered the adoption process? Where... You go through and you look at all the different options and then you select one and say, I want that one. And that God, before creation, 
It says you were chosen before the foundation of the world. He saw you. He knew every mistake you were going to make. He saw every victory and he saw every failure. He saw how tall you were going to be, how short you were going to be, how much you were going to weigh, what your color of hair is, if you have hair, what color your eyes are. Everything about you, he saw the end from the beginning and said, I want that one. He chose you in him before the foundation of the world. He adopted you. Do you live in the truth of that adoption, of the affection of that adoption? For those of you who have kids, you know what it's like when you see your son or daughter succeed or fail and the emotions that you have for them, the excitement that you have for them when they succeed and the grace and the compassion that you have for them when they fail. Do we relate to God in that way? See, our identity is important because it defines how we relate to God. Do we live at a distance and put ourselves on probation? Or do we draw near and we're confident because we trust his leadership? His affections and his emotions do not change toward you. Now, you may get disciplined, but that doesn't mean his emotions and his affections change toward you. He's always going to feel that way about you. Now, this chapter goes on for the sake of time. I won't keep reading it. I'll just quote some of it. But it says that all of creation has been subjected to futility because it's longing and experiencing the pains of a woman in labor longing for you to know who you are and take your place as sons and daughters of God. That it's groaning. It literally uses the term groaning like a woman in child labor. And then he goes on to say in the chapter that we ourselves groan. Creation groans. Then we groan because we are longing for this revelation of sonship to, to grip the earth. And then in verse 26, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also groans. With utterances too deep for words, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You know that's in context to you knowing who you are as sons and daughters? When you talk about travailing prayer, it's travailing prayer because you're identifying with the pain of a fallen earth. And how much it is needing you to take your place and the sons of God to come forth and to take back dominion over creation. You see, that's your inheritance. That's what you're going to receive in the next age after Jesus returns. And Lord, I don't have time to get into eschatology. But listen, there is, this is an internship. There is a plan and a purpose for your life that right now you only have 70 or 80 years to enter into this plan. And to start building what you probably will continue to build after Jesus returns. If you've been given a, an assignment in Kentucky, and you are a pastor or a leader, and you are obedient to the talents that God has given you, then you will be given a stewardship of government in the age to come in this area. It's just an internship. Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem in the the increase of his government will be no end. You see, we haven't taught the people God these things, so they're not fascinated about what's coming. They're not happy about what's coming, and therefore they check out from their assignment right now. You're building right now. You're beginning the process of restoration right now in terms of your identity and who you are. We don't know who we are. 
But if we're obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we enter into those realities on the front end. Now, Paul goes into this elaborate dissertation. I can just imagine as he's writing Romans 8, and this is just pouring out of him. Can you imagine the anointing that as he's writing these words? And then he breaks out into this dissertation. It's amazing. You know it. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? You know, and he goes on to say, well, tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. I mean, he's just exploding with this confidence of who we are in God and how nothing's going to stop the sons of God from taking back what was lost in the earth. Amen? Your second eternal identity, can anybody tell me? The bride of Christ. When I think of sonship, I think of dominion restored. When I think of your bridal identity, I think of his affections and his emotions. That you have access to the affections of God. That you can draw near to him in the same way that a bride draws near to a bridegroom. When you read the book of Esther, it's a clear picture of how Esther beautified herself and she presented herself before the king and he extended the scepter and said, Ask whatever you want up to half of my kingdom. But with Jesus, he extends the scepter and says, ask whatever you want. I'll give you the entire kingdom. He says, I want to part partner with you forever. For an eternal reality of intimacy. And he will continue to lavish his love as a bridegroom. And remember the cry on the earth. The bridal revelation is going to hit the earth in such a way that the call from the church and intercession from the earth is Maranatha, the spirit and the bride say come. That we are so in love with him on the front end that it ushers in his return. God is releasing bridal revelation so that whenever judgments begin to be released, you won't get offended, that you'll have intimacy with him and you'll discern them rightly. I was sharing with someone earlier, if you want to not misinterpret prophetic passages or the book of revelation then go deep in bridal intimacy bridal understanding and you'll realize that anything negative that happens any sufferings in this life is him removing everything that hinders love everything that's in the way of intimacy he's removing it so that he can have a pure and spotless bride look uh, when i got married uh, you know you you wish that you could give your wife, your spirit. I wish I could give my wife my spirit. She'd become just like me. We would agree all the time. You know, Jesus gave us his depth. He gave us who he is. He gave us his spirit. It's the fullest extent of any type of uh, covenantal intimacy so that we would become like him. He's given us that gift. We would never argue. And, uh, you know, I, I laugh about my children because they are faithful intercessors. I think of Jesus saying that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because, because he had been told, if you fulfill this, I promise you I will send them our spirit. And so sometimes I'll tell my kids, you know, if y'all are good, you can have ice cream. And so the end of the day, they've been good. They don't forget. And we'll be driving and we're passing by like a Dairy Queen or something. And they're like, Daddy, you promised 
You promised if we were good that you would get us ice cream. You promised, and they, will, they would not let me go until I fulfilled my promise. And you just imagine Jesus on the cross, and he had been promised by the Father, I will pour out our spirit on all flesh. And Jesus' desire on the cross was, Daddy, you promised. And sure enough, when he sat down at the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit was released on the earth in a great outpouring. I'll send forth the promise of my Father. It's just a beautiful picture. So we need to be faithful intercessors. Jesus, you promised. Pour out your Spirit. There's going to be an end time, last days outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be Acts chapter 2 times 10. It's going to be glorious. The whole world's going to be shaken, but the church is going to be so full of glory and supernatural power. There's going to be absolutely nothing to worry about because the level of anointing and power that's going to be released is going to be unparalleled to anything we've ever seen. Revival, full-on outbreak of revival. Some of us may die, but, you know, the rest are going to live. What's the third eternal identity of a believer? Uh-oh, I heard it. Somebody gets the special teacher's apple. Priesthood. It's the most neglected identity in the body of Christ, but the Lord is releasing revelation of what that means. Most people, when they think of a priest, they think of the Aaronic order, or they think of a Catholic priest. But you have uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It all says you have become a kingdom of priests. And chapter 5, verse 10 says you will reign on the earth. You see, the priesthood, the bridal, and the sonship all overlap. Jesus was the high priest because he was a son. Your sonship grafts you into an eternal order of priesthood called the order of Melchizedek. Now, within the priesthood means that you are now a bride. The priestly garments reflect the bridal garments. So your priesthood is the white linen garments, which is the righteous acts of the saints. So all of it interconnects. You're a son, therefore you're a priest. You're a priest, therefore you're a bride. You see? So it's three different identities, but they all are one reality. What does the priesthood represent? It means that it's your function and your calling. And this is why I believe the church is in so much dysfunction as we speak. Because it does not understand its priestly role. And because of such, we've lost the word of the Lord. And we've also created titles that are far beneath a royal priesthood. It doesn't matter if you're an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, teacher, evangelist. It doesn't matter. You've been given a title. Each and every one of us, it's genderless. It doesn't matter. You are a royal priesthood. There's nothing higher in the kingdom of heaven than the priesthood under the great high priest. It's your function. Now, what does a priest do? A priest was to go into the place of encounter, receive the knowledge of God, and then take the knowledge of God out to the people. Then they would see the condition of the people. They would teach the people the difference between the holy and the unclean. And then they would see the condition of the people and carry that burden back into the Holy of Holies for intercession. It's worship unto encounter, producing the word of the Lord, and then intercession. You see the pattern? 
worship, encounter, prophesy, burden of intercession, back into worship and prayer. It's who you are. People don't understand night and day prayer. It's like, are you kidding me? It's like, that's who we are. That's who we're made to be. We're all intercessors. Intercession is not just for these special, weird, prophetic people. Jesus is the great intercessor. Whoever lives to make intercession on our behalf. He stands in the office of the high priest. And he has called all of us to partner with him in our priesthood. And that's why it says they will rule and reign on the earth. There's coming a time where in priestly ministry, we are going to teach the entire earth the knowledge of God. That's what's coming. And it's all going to be birthed through night and day worship and prayer. That the fire on the altar will never go out. That's where it's headed. I'm telling you, if the church doesn't make the adjustment now, it's going to happen by default. I'm not saying it's going to replace the church, but there will be a, a uniting of night and day prayer and intercession, worship and intercession combined within the church. It's the restoration of the temple. And we think because there's a New Testament and the Holy Spirit's been poured out that we've, we've moved on from that Aaronic tabernacle. You see, the tabernacle of Moses taught us how to come into God's presence, but the tabernacle of David taught us how to worship God. It was a heavenly pattern given to David, and it was commanded by God to David to teach it to the kings after him. 4,000 musicians, 4,000 gatekeepers, 288 singers, skilled singers, 24-7 before the ark. That was God's heart, God's desire. It's not a new thing. It's an ancient path, and God's going to restore it. Amos 9-11, I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David. And so the fullness of that, that prophecy is going to come when Jesus comes back to Jerusalem. And there will be a full-on temple worship procession and, and succession of night and day prayer. But if we enter into it now, we're entering into the spirit of the tabernacle of David. And that's what he's pouring out. And we have to position ourselves to do so. And knowing our priestly identity is key to that. Amen? Amen? You know, back in revival, when I heard about the outpouring of the Spirit, I didn't know what to think. I was fresh out of the world. I was a drug addict. I was immoral. I'd just gotten radically saved out of an LSD overdose. Jesus appeared to me. I was instantly sober. Years of crack and cocaine addiction. I had no withdrawal symptoms. I experienced the power of God. But then I got put in a Baptocostal church. And so they taught on the Holy Spirit, and they, they would preach messages like Matthew chapter 10, 7, and 8. Go preach the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely receive, freely give. And I would stand up and say, yes, let's do it. And then everyone would stop, stand up and clap and leave and go to lunch. And everyone left with their demons. Everyone left with their bondage. Nobody got healed or delivered. And I said, there's a disconnect from what's happening. The people are hearing something, but they're not living in the reality of it. So I hear about a revival down in Pensacola. And so I go down there, and I stand in line in the heat, 100-degree heat. There was no advertisement. There was no Internet. There was uh, nothing during that time that would cause thousands of people to show up at this church. It was in the middle of a really bad town, but yet thousands of people were lining up outside to stand to get inside the church. 
And so I walk into the church, and I, I told you before, ever since my conversion, I'm hypersensitive. I mean, I feel everything all the time, just super sensitive. And as I walk into this church, it literally felt like I was stepping into a sauna. I mean, it was like a different atmosphere. The minute I walked in, I was hit with the tangible, manifest presence of God. I've never felt anything like it on that level since. And I've seen some really powerful moves of God. It was clean. You know, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean. It was just pure. And as these young people started walking in, people started falling. Just as they walked in, nobody was even praying for them. They were just falling over. And some kids started walking around like this, you know. They were shaking like they looked like chickens walking around, you know. They were just kind of... <laughs> and I thought, oh, you poor thing. You're here to get delivered or healed. You have some type of epilepsy. And, you know, I was going to pray for them that they got healed because I'd never seen it. Never seen it before. And so all of a sudden, the worship leader comes out, and he starts leading worship. And I'm telling you, I thought I was being raptured. I had to open my eyes to make sure I was still on the earth. Wow. It was like glorious, heavenly worship. And all of a sudden, this man comes out on the platform. And it was the first time I had ever seen that level of power on a man before. And it was Steve Hill. And he said, uh, he called up a youth group. And he said, everybody stretch out your hands. We're going to pray for this youth group. So these young people were up on stage, and I kid you not, he just walked over to them, and he lightly touched their head and said, now, now, fire, fire. And I kid you not, these kids, they didn't just courtesy drop, you know, like, oh, you know, and they laid the blankie over them or whatever. No, this was violent. I mean, these kids hit the ground and started flopping around like pieces of bacon in a frying pan or fish out of water. And, I mean, the waves of the power of God was coming off the platform. And Steve says, lift your hands. The fire of God's in the room. Lift your hands if you want the fire of God. And I, I've been in gangs. I've had guns to my head. I've sold all kinds of drugs in every situation. I was scared to death in that moment. I never was afraid. But that was scary. I was like, I don't know if I want that. I mean, I, I honestly, I, I'm out of here. But I was hungry. And I lifted my hands and closed my eyes, and something hit me, and I hit the ground. And the best way I can, I don't say this lightly, but I, I was under the Shekinah glory, you know, like real heavy, thick, honey presence of God. And I know a lot of people haven't experienced that, but some of you, if you have, you know what I'm talking about. Real thick. I could not get up. And I was there for two hours, but it, I mean, it felt like 15 minutes. It's like time stood still. And I started feeling these waves go back and forth over my spirit. You know, your spirit's in your belly. And I started feeling these waves over my belly. And I started, my body started to move with those waves. And I got up two hours later, and I was walking like a chicken, just like those kids were. <laughs> and I had all these waves just going through my body. And it was like, I was electrocuted. And I flew down there with some very astute men. One of the guys started Promise Keepers and... Man, he was on the board of the Assemblies of God, and he was just very intellectual. And I was staying in a hotel room with some of them, and uh, they didn't get touched the same way I did. And I'm jerking and shaking all the way home in the car, right? And uh, I'm sharing a bed with one of these guys. And it was like one of those vibrating beds, you know? I was just shaking and jerking all night, and all of a sudden the anointing started jumping on him, and he starts shaking in the bed. I shook for three days straight. 
I flew back on the airplane. I'm still shaking. I was part of a 5,000-member church, and I was a leader in the youth group. When I got back to the church, I was sitting on the front row still shaking. And uh, everyone thought I either had a disease or a demon or, you know, they thought I got a devil at the revival. But I was radically touched. To this day, I couldn't tell you why. I know my life was changed, but I don't know why my body reacted. There's just so much power on my body, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it, right? And so I went back down there, and I bought an outdoor lawn chair. And I would go into the service. I would get prayer, fall down, get back up. They would wheel me out in a wheelchair and dump me in the grass. I mean, I'd just get prayer for hours. I'd lay there for hours. And I had a chair out there, so I'd just go lay in the chair. It was Florida, so it was warm enough. So I just slept there all night, waited on the doors to open again the next night to get in. For two years straight, I didn't miss a service. And I was slain in the spirit 10 to 15 times a week for two years straight. That, that's an underestimation probably, probably more than that. I had a key to the building, and I would go in there when no one else was in there and just lay on the platform and ask God to use me in revival. The reason I tell that story is because I believe there's a glory coming to the church. And it's going to be something that the world has never seen. And it's going to be glorious. And what I experienced, if it's anything like I touched there, and I believe it will be, I believe it will be even greater. There's going to be all types of provision, all types of signs and wonders and miracles and lands of Goshen. There's nothing to be afraid of with the future, with our children. It's going to be, this is one of the greatest times to be alive you could ever imagine with what's coming on the earth. And so you have to let go of your need to understand everything in order to experience more of the supernatural of God. But it's part of your identity. Believe God's good. Trust his leadership. Know who you are. Walk in the truth of that and shut the door to the devil. Amen? I know I've went a little long. I want to invite you to stand. If the worship team wants to come and play, you guys can move this table. You know, I asked Pastor Mike, I think it was a couple of days ago, I said, when was the last time your church members just really got refreshed and just felt a touch from the Lord and, you know, needed that fresh fire, that fresh wind? And uh, he said, you know, it's been a while. And I said, well, why don't we just lay hands on everybody on Saturday night that wants prayer? And so I'm here to stay as late as you need me to stay. If you would like prayer and uh, ask the Lord to touch you and refresh you in any way, we're just going to invite his presence to come. And uh, if there's a ministry team or if there's any leaders that are on the, the staff and pastoral staff here, then you're welcome to help me pray for people. But, uh, you know, let's just invite the presence of the Lord. You know, as I tell those stories of revival and his presence, you know, we were made to experience him. We were made to be refreshed in his presence and to get fresh oil in our lamps. And, you know, sometimes the warfare can be intense and we lose battles, but we're still in the war, but we feel weak and we need someone to come alongside us to help us fight our battles. And, you know, whenever there's been deep transition, the intercessors can get weary and Maybe you've been a pastor or a preacher. You've been preaching a long time, but 
you know, you just have, you've, it's been a long season. And you need the Lord to encourage you with a fresh touch from heaven. Why don't we just go ahead and ask him, Lord, we say we have need of you, Jesus. We thank you for the promise that's been poured out on the day of Pentecost, Lord. We say there's, we know there's more. I ask for the increase of the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we may walk in a manner fully pleasing the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Lord, I pray for that prophetic anointing even now. Come, Holy Spirit. Bring refreshing. Bring a fresh touch to our hearts. Illuminate our minds. Break the power of the enemy off our lives. Lord, we take authority over heaviness and despair and hopelessness and confusion. We set our mind on things above. Even now we gaze the beautiful, transcendent gods. about who's around us to the right and to the left and we just lose ourselves. Lord, would you increase your glory in this house? We invite you now. wash over your people now we believe you love us God we believe what you say about yourself and what you say about us Lord help us walk in the reality of what you say Holy Spirit help us
refreshing from his presence. say that's been me I need a fresh touch from the Lord it's been a dry season the warfare has been intense and I need a fresh touch from the Lord I want to invite you to come we want to pray for you spectating. Lord, open the heavens. We come as your holy priesthood. Encounter your people. Take us in. You've given us access into the realms of heaven. This is who we are. Receive it. Believe it. In Jesus' name, we take authority over every lie of the enemy that's stolen your peace stolen your joy in Jesus name access now into his presence come with confidence and boldness to the throne of grace Lord release grace 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 to fulfill your assignment grace to step into a new season grace to overcome fear Receive grace in your spirit right now. Come on. Some of you are going to be in a feel it. Even in your belly, it's going to well up. It's going to spring up. Lord, let life spring up again where dead places and the weeds have, have crowded the destiny of God in your life. Father, right now, life springing up again. New season of life. Fulfillment. Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. We're hungry. Drink deep from the river of His pleasure. touching some of you. Talk to Him. Jesus, it's been hard, but I receive Your goodness. I receive Your cleansing. Let Him cleanse. 
wins right now.